Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. This is my wife, Liberty. And we're a podcast where we try to get our significant other interested in our hobbies by discussing the latest news in books and sports. And like last week, we are continuing to split our episodes, sports on Tuesdays, books on Thursdays, and there's actually a decent amount of news this week. Yeah, quite a bit of it, actually. I know that you've got some stuff up front for me, and then I think I've got one tad bit of news for the week. So the first thing that came out of last week was a new YA fantasy novel by Victoria Aveyard has been announced. It's the first book in a series. It's called Realm Breaker. And there's a summary on Goodreads, but I'm not a big fan of it because I think it might give away too much of the plot. That's been happening more and more with book summaries. So all I'll say is that basically it's pirates, found families, and the chosen one trope together in a book. And it looks like it could be good. We'll have to wait and see. That doesn't come out till May 4th of next year, so there's some time on it. And another book that's been announced is the Hallmark Channel is releasing a book. It's coming out October 20th of this year, and it's like a countdown to Christmas style book. It's technically called Hallmark Channel's Countdown to Christmas Have a Very Merry Movie Holiday. So they're basically trying to take their movies and cards and then mash it into a book. Uh, kind of not really. It's more like for people like me who watch Hallmark movies every single holiday season and during the year as well. And basically it's got a lot of interviews for actors and actresses who are famous for being in Hallmark movies and they discuss their holiday traditions and recipes. I think there's some recipes in the book and there's like trivia for the movies that happen every year and there's a section about how to decorate in certain styles for Christmas. Interesting. So I think it'll be a good book, actually, which is surprising. But so you pre-ordered it, right? I have not, but <laughs> it is on my list for October. Because for me, it's something that I think it would be good to have, especially when we're actually decorating instead of being in this apartment when yeah. we have a full-blown house to decorate. I think that could be good for that. And I'm always down to try a new recipe. Right. Never anything wrong with a new recipe unless it goes absolutely wrong because the recipe's a bad recipe. <laughs> right. But it seems really cute. It seems like something I might ask for for Christmas instead of something that I buy for myself because it's one of those things that's probably way more expensive than it's actually worth because it's Hallmark, but it's also like a coffee table book. So it's going to be overly big and like hard to read. But if you're not a fan of Hallmark specifically, but also not a big fan of Christmas movies and stuff like that, it's not going to be something for you. So in this household, only one of us would actually like to have this. And then this is a piece of news that I don't know how this didn't trickle into my news feeds because I like this actor a lot, but Nathan Fillion recorded for a horror novel by Max Brooks called Devolution, and it's something about the wilderness and like finding Bigfoot or something. 
not my type of book at all, but it's a full cast audiobook, which is my favorite type of audiobook because you have a bunch of different actors doing different voices. But apparently Nathan Fillion's one of the actors for it. Leave it to Nathan Fillion to find a random book out of nowhere to be part of the voice cast for. Like, well, that's super strange. He's done voice acting for other things oh, before, yeah. but it is a weird book. Probably not something I'll read or listen to, but I don't know how I didn't know about this because the book came out last month about exactly a month ago and it didn't hit my radar which was weird because I'm such a big fan of his and Firefly and Serenity so I don't know how I'm just now hearing about it. You, you could say that you're kind of a fan but I would say you're more like the fan. I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah it's definitely interesting to see him trying to do something you know with a voice acting for a book. I, I guess I've never heard that he's done that before. I know he's done voice acting for like video games and I I know he's done voice acting before, so it's not something too new to him. I don't think it's a book I would want to read, but he does have a pretty good voice for that, so that's nice. And a comic book that I would not be into reading because I have very specific comic book tastes, but it's called Usagi Yojimbo or something like that. That is probably totally wrong. We apologize to the real fans. But it's becoming a Netflix adaptation. It's set during the Edo period of Japan and it tells the story of a rabbit as he takes on a bunch of adventures and he's like a samurai rabbit. Okay. So that, rabbit. that sounds really cute. I haven't heard of this before, but Netflix has picked up the comic book for an adaptation, which I'm not surprised because that seems to be a little side area of Netflix that we're really enjoying. Yeah, they're definitely getting involved in, like, converting comic books to movies or TV series. Yes, and, like, the second season of The Umbrella Academy is coming out at the end of this month, and we just watched The Old Guard last night, which was effing fantastic. Yeah. I I love your filler word for profanity, (laughs) basically just the first letter in ing at the front of it there. I ended up ordering the back-ordered bind-up of the first five comics after we watched that movie pretty much immediately as soon as the credits were over. I ordered that back ordered book. Yeah, I, I think I just ended the credits and then you're like, I ordered it. Yeah. <laughs> I had no choice. But of course, the comics are actually completely and totally sold out everywhere. So if you want the full bind-up like I do, then you have to wait until they send out the books in like two or three weeks. It, it seems like it's kind of picked up the same popularity that like The Walking Dead did when it got converted to a TV show. Right. Like at first, it was super easy to get The Walking Dead comics wherever you wanted to go. And then all of a sudden, it was like, whoa, the show's on TV. Now it's like, where do I find them at? Yeah. And then they started production to obviously keep up with it, but... And they're saying that they have enough story to make two more movies, which based on how the movie ended for the first one, that would make a lot of sense that there's more story to tell. Because I think the movie is just based on comics one through five, and there's more comics. That's my understanding of it at this point, at least. That's super exciting news. I didn't know they were going to be able to make two more movies. Obviously, they left them in a cliffhanger to make a second movie, no matter what, so... And I'm excited to read it, but I'm also a little nervous. We'll have to see, because I am reading it as soon as I get it, so... And then I'll get the trickled hand-me-downs, you know, like a typical Weasley in this house, you know. I just get the second hand-me-downs of all the books. 
It will have only had one owner previous to you, so I think you'll be fine. But on that note, comic sales are breaking a lot of records, which no one should be surprised at this point. They're coming out with a lot of good comic books and graphic novels, and I think the numbers that came out from last year is there was an increase from 2018 to 2019 of 11%. Yeah, and, and you got to also take into effect that, like, nerd culture is becoming a whole nother thing for people. Like, people that were jocks in high school are like, oh, I love the Avengers this and Avengers that, and I love this and I love that. And it's like, you're welcome. We've been doing this for years. We're here for you now. I think Marvel, the Avengers, that sort of thing, is opening a door. But I think a lot of the good material has already been there. Like, the old guard isn't that new. I think the first set of comics came out in 20. 2017 in the bind up version maybe I'd have to double check so they're coming out with good stuff lately and of course there's backlisted stuff that's also really good so I'm not surprised that the comic book sales are going up I think if you check the numbers from this year compared to next year in January, you'll probably see an even bigger increase, especially with the old guard, the Umbrella Academy, things like that. Right. You're definitely going to see an overall growth, that's for sure. The only thing that makes me nervous is an article I read said that there are differences between the comics and the movie for the old guard, and they said that they were good differences, like how some people say that the Umbrella Academy show is better than the comics. So I am nervous about that. And the last thing as far as news goes is Alex Trebek is releasing a memoir that is titled The Answer Is Reflections of My Life. It kind of makes sense that it, it's due. The time is due for it currently, especially with his ailing health and all right, that. Right, right. And he said he was originally not going to do a memoir, but then he got so much support from his fans while he was sick that he felt like he wanted them to know him more, which is sweet. And that, that really makes a lot of sense. Like, the man has definitely lived an interesting life, to say the least. So yeah. it's good that he's willing to do something like this for his fan base so that they can be, like, even more tied closer to him and his, his strife and his battle that he's going yeah. through right now. And it's coming out on Tuesday, so July 21st. And in it, he discusses a bunch of stuff, but specifically the things that I think are interesting is, of course, he's talking about his success and his marriage, but then he's also discussing like his favorite players from the show so I'm sure Ken Jennings is in there somewhere because he's everyone's favorite yeah and then he also apparently writes about I guess Will Ferrell does an impression of him on SNL or something that breaks my heart that you haven't seen it and after this episode we will immediately watch it because (laughs) it's hilarious but he talks about his opinion about it which I'm sure he thinks it's funny but he has a whole section in there about that He was always really a good sport about that, I think. Like, having been as famous as he is, I'm sure there have been times where him and Will Ferrell have crossed paths. And I guarantee you, Will Ferrell immediately does his Alex Trebek (laughs) impression because the two of them just seem like they would just get along and enjoy that as, like, just a good time. Yeah, I'm sure of it. And then I have this section where we normally do tags or we talk about book adaptations or something, but it was my birthday this month, and... Almost all the books I ordered for my birthday have arrived. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about the books I can say I'm, I don't know, hauling for the month of July. And two of them are new releases that no one will be surprised about. The Damned by Renee Audier and A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor by Hank Green. 
that is probably the first time I've ever said that correctly without having to stop, so that's great. Practice makes perfect. And those were already pre-ordered, but they finally came in while I was gone, so that was great. And then a book that I didn't realize is a standalone, but it's a standalone fantasy, which is weird. You don't get a lot of those, but it's called The Candle and the Flame, and it's by Nafisa Azed? Azad? Azad is probably correct. I totally butchered that, I know. And it's another sort of Middle Eastern fantasy similar to the Devabad trilogy or The Wrath and the Dawn. So things that I've been getting into, so I decided to go ahead and order it. It's been kind of on my radar for a while. And I think I'm going to actually get to it in August for part of a readathon that I'm doing. Which readathon was that? It's technically the magical readathon, the Newt's edition for the month of August, but G is sort of getting rid of the Harry Potter aspect of her readathon because of what's recently come out with JK Rowling. So next year it's going to be a different readathon, but she's still going to run it in a similar way. Okay. But she said since we already did the first half of the readathon in April, then she was going to continue it for August just to wrap it up. Right. But she's not going to run it the same way she normally does. She just basically released the prompts and went, have fun. Good luck. Yeah. Have so. fun. And then the next book I got is The Diviners by Libba Bray. This was a fantasy series I wasn't sure I was going to get into because it's set in the 1920s and I'm not a big fan of the 1920s. You know, like the Roaring Twenties? We're back to it right now in the Roaring 2020s. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's because I read Gatsby too many times in between high school and college, but I'm not a fan of the 1920s. That could definitely do it for you. I think that either gets people hooked on the 20s or absolutely destroys their beliefs. Well, in I'm the completely 20s. disillusioned with the Roaring Twenties, <laughs> but I can take it on good authority from people I know who have similar tastes to mine who like the series. So I decided to get the first book as like a tester, see what I think. Yeah. And another book that I'm not sure I'm going to like, but I had to order it, is The Guest List by Lucy Foley. She is a mystery thriller author that I've read one of her books before, and I think I said the first half of the book I would have given five stars, and the back half of the book I would have given like two stars. So when you put it together, it's not a very good book, in my opinion. So I'm not sure, but she does the kind of mystery stories that I like, and it's isolated closed circle mysteries. So basically in this one, they are a wedding party on an island near Ireland. And basically someone in the wedding party dies and someone from the wedding party had to be the one that did it. So it sounds like my kind of thing. We'll see if it's executed the way I would want. So you're expecting it to be hopefully like Clue is kind of the truth? Clue is a closed circle mystery, isn't it? Yeah. Then yes. Then yes. <laughs> and well, that is my favorite movie, so I'm not surprised when you make that comparison that I would want to go ahead and buy this book, even though I've read her before and didn't like her. Yeah. And then another one I've been hearing a lot about, it's been said that it's like a Les Mis reworking. And it's called The Court of Miracles by Kester Grant. I'm going into that one not knowing a lot outside of the fact that it is a Les Mis retelling and that there's a court of like thieves and con men and that's all I need to know. That's enough to check the boxes <laughs> necessary. If you know how much I love Six of Crows and you know Six of Crows, you're not surprised. I, I know how much you love Six of Crows as I'm sitting here looking at a giant banner from Six of Crows mm -hmm. on our wall. 
she literally is willing to sacrifice bookcases to have that banner hung up in our library. If I can have another bookcase in front of it, I'll do it. <laughs> but it's supposed to be lames with like thieves and rogues, and I'm into it. Sounds interesting. I know it, that you've recommended that I read Six of Crows, so... The question is, am I going to make you read the Grisha trilogy before you read Six of Crows? Because that's not how I read it, but that's the way it's supposed to be read, supposedly. You probably should have me read it the right way, just so right. we don't anger people. Yeah. And another book I picked up is A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, and it's another mystery thriller, so I don't want to know a lot about it, but it was written by Holly Jackson... And it's one of those books that I hear a lot about, talked about on YouTube. So I'm willing to give it a go. We'll see. Yeah, and talking about the YouTube stuff, when you were discussing the diviners earlier, that's all I could think was, wow, we watched a lot of YouTube videos this week where people were like, I'm going to finally give diviners a chance. And yeah. they're like, well, that's kind of weird timing. Well, part of that is the fourth book in the series recently came out. So now people are picking up the first one if they haven't already or rereading it. Gotcha. That makes sense. And another book that I'm picking up out of recommendation more than my thoughts of enjoyment is Red Sister by Mark Lawrence. It's part of a series, it's an adult fantasy series about assassin nuns, and it's big in the book community, so I figured I had book money. I was going to buy something that people seem to really enjoy. Perks of birthday book money. Yeah. It's almost endless. But uh, one that I did pick up because I think I'm going to enjoy it, is a YA book called The Shadows Between Us by Trisha Levenseller. It came out in February. I wanted to get it then, but I waited until my birthday. And it's, someone said it's a very Slytherin book because the main character is really ambitious. She basically wants to overthrow the king, so she wants to kill him to take the crown. But first she has to protect him from another assassin's attempt on his life. And then interesting. And then somehow so it, protect him and then kill him. Right. The right person has to kill him to get the power, I guess. Gotcha. And somehow it turns into like a love story, so like enemies to lovers, I guess. Yeah. If, if it's done well, it can be really good. It's that's interesting sounding book, that's for sure. It would definitely keep you on the edge of your seat the entire time you're reading it, I could imagine. Yeah. Like and is it gonna happen now? Now? It, now? It's a very young adult like idea for a book. So I'm yeah. not I'm not surprised it's a young adult book. And a book that I picked up because it seemed wintry, which I was really in the mood for, and it's sort of an easier contemporary to read. It's actually part of a companion series, so it's not a series like you have to read every single book for it to make sense, but you can read things out of order. And it's just happening in the same world with like a bunch of like side characters are the main ones in this one and the main characters in this one were side characters in the other. Gotcha. And it's called The Tourist Attraction by Sarah Morgenthaler. I think is how you say that last name. Morgenthaler? I think so. Like probably Germanic descent? Probably, I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. But it takes place in Alaska, and basically this guy has a rule against dating tourists because he was in a tourist town, and then a tourist shows up who has an interest in him or something like that. Sounds like a Hallmark movie. <laughs> you sure Hallmark's not involved in this? I am positive this isn't a Hallmark thing. <laughs> and then the last three books I got were part of the Murderbot Diaries. I got books 
three, four, and five. How, how many books are there in the Murderbot Diaries? Right now there's five, but there's also like a novella between novellas that you could read that's like 18 pages, but it's not necessary for the story. So technically five right now. Okay, that's kind of weird. Some people on Goodreads say that it's completely unnecessary to read in the series, so I'm gonna take that at their word because A, I don't know where to find it, or B, I figured out how to find it at some point, but it wasn't interesting to me or something happened there. Gotcha. But I got Rogue Protocol, Exit Strategy, and Network Effect. I've already read Rogue Protocol and Exit Strategy. So all I have left is finally the 350 page book. And then I will be caught up just in time for next year, another novella to come out. But that's my birthday book haul. Technically, I've got the first book in the Murderbot Diaries on the way to me because originally I read it on one of those free streaming trials. So now I need to get the physical book so I can have all five of them. Because you need the complete set, otherwise it just looks weird. Exactly. So that's currently on its way to me. But besides that, that's everything I got for my birthday, book-wise. Sounds like you're burdened down with some, some books. Yeah. Well, my goal for the year was to get my physical TBR down to 10, and I had done it by the middle of the year, and then my birthday happened. So now I need to work on it again. Yeah. On top of that, then you have our anniversary coming up, and then it never seems like Christmas is far behind for some reason. <laughs> Just, like, hits high speeds for some reason, for me at least. I don't know. Well, and I've got pre-ordered books for new releases that are going to be coming in in October, November, December. So, I mean... You're, you're stacked and ready I, to go. I'm going to have a lot of books to get through if I'm going to get my <laughs> physical TBR down to 10. Yeah. But this week you read the first 11 chapters of Prisoner of Azkaban? Yeah, technically I checked off a few more than 11, but um, we are only discussing one through also the ending of 11, so technically the start of 12. And I will tell you with certainty this is no Chamber of Secrets. It, it is, is much better. much better and much faster paced than what Chamber of Secrets was. I felt so bored out of my mind with Chamber of Secrets, and I don't think I can reiterate enough, no Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. It paid off in the end for that book, but for this one, I don't have to wait for the payoff. There's all these things going on, which is very exciting. Yeah. Well, and with this one, I feel like it is almost everyone's favorite Harry Potter book, or at least it's in the top three Harry Potter books. So far, it's checking off those boxes for me, so I can kind of understand why that would be the case. Yeah. And for me, I think it's in the top two of Harry Potter books. It's between this and Goblet of Fire, which you're going to read after this. It's exciting. So I get to go from one good book to the next good book, and then the rest I'm just going to be like, eh. It depends on what you look forward to the most, because this one, while it does get dark, it doesn't get as dark as the fourth book is. So if you're looking for that, it's coming in the next book. Having seen the movie, I know why it's not as dark, because like the dark is not dark, but we'll stay on subject with the book, because as of right now, the dark is dark. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it was just funny to watch the changing of the style of summer Harry had. Like, it was still bad. Yeah, well, any summer at the Dursleys is going to be is bad. awful. But, like, at least this time, Hedwig is getting the ability to go out and fly and stretch her wings. And you see Harry, the first chapter, receiving gifts for his birthday, which 
is something that he didn't get previously. In fairness, I don't think the Dursleys exactly knew he was getting things. They kind of just came. Well, yeah, in the middle of the night. Yeah. I love that poor Errol is just, he might as well be a blind owl at this point. Like, he's being guided in by two other owls. Well, I think it's just because he couldn't fly anymore. Yeah. But yeah. Well, in fairness, he, he was coming from Egypt, so, like, that kind of makes sense. That is a long flight. Yeah. Egypt, As a bird. He, yeah, to say the least. And, like, I always picture it like the owls don't stop flying. For some reason, even though I know realistically as birds they probably do. But I'm sure they need to rest or take a nap or yeah. eat or something. So do you think they pick, like, a random, like, owl post and just, like, crash there for the night? They're like, all right, this is where we're holding up. And, I don't and... know, because as you see in the books later on, there are places where you could go if you're a wizard who doesn't own an owl if you need to send a well, letter. Well, actual owl posts. Yeah, they they so. have their own owls for like short, <clears throat> medium, and long distance flights, yeah. which I think is fantastic. Like I was like, wow. So like maybe there's something with that where if you're an owl in the middle of a flight, you can stop there. I doubt that, but that's never actually explored in the series, so who knows? Which is too bad. We need to work on that because like obviously owls with gifts aren't going to just stop at a random person's <laughs> just sit there right. with a gift all day long. That would be and weird. And rest. But, you know, Harry gets some pretty cool gifts. He obviously gets one of the books that he's going to be required to have, The Monster Book of Monsters, which is is fantastic in itself. And, like, I know I'm going to be skipping around a little bit, but my favorite scene is when Hagrid's like, you didn't know how to make it not try to attack you? It's like, nobody did. Not even the person at the bookstore knew how I to don't do know that. how a bookseller wouldn't know that about a book. But he didn't. And that's, that's the thing. So it's like, obviously you see the scene when they're in Diagon Alley where the books are trying to eat each other. Tear each other apart. Exactly. Yeah. Literally just tear each other to shreds. So. I, I think the thing for me that I enjoyed the most out of this is you're seeing different aspects of the wizarding world that you didn't see before. Like Harry staying at Diagon Alley at the Leaky Cauldron and he gets to spend his summer just at the ice cream shop doing his homework surrounded by witches and wizards and I can't help but think this could have been Harry's life. He could have spent his life surrounded by wizards and witches and people who care about him and then eating ice cream and (laughs) having free ice cream and he could have had like this sort of golden summer his entire life right and then so you get those gifts and and those are pretty interesting obviously you have the sneaker scope and then the broomstick servicing kit even though his broomstick was locked up downstairs so he's like i can't really use this but thanks like well and his broom is still so new that i'm like you could polish it but what else do you need to do (laughs) right right. it's not like the twigs are going to start growing all of a sudden off the back of the the broom and then honestly one of my favorite scenes was Aunt Marge and like correct me if I'm wrong I believe she was mentioned like she was mentioned very briefly in the first one right and so like you already kind of have a weird taste in your mouth about her and then like they hit you with the hard facts and you're just like wow she is an awful human being right like we thought the Dursleys were bad but there was another level out there like it's Dursleys and then Aunt Marge is like way way up on the top it's sometimes so absurd with how like bad the bad characters are in Harry Potter and I think that's part of that silliness that sort of gets taken out as you become an adult and read these books, but like she's over the top bad. Yeah, and they and and they tell her that he's going to like some school for like troubled, 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 troubled Saint children. Saint Brutus's school for criminally something boys or something. Yeah, I can't quite remember, but yeah, I can't remember the name of it either. But it, it just seemed like 
so far-fetched. It's like, hey, uh, yeah, Harry goes to the school that, like, people that should be convicts go to. Right. Well, um, for, there's a headcanon out there that Harry's actually of Indian descent from India, and that the reason that the Dursleys don't like him is because his dad was Indian, and they're, like, super racist. Yeah. I didn't, I couldn't think of a good way to put it other than that, but, like, they're super racist against him, and they think that's why they treat him so bad. That would explain a whole lot. Right. You know, that's for sure. Obviously, we, we don't have an exact answer to that solution there but it's a good headcanon that fits the story i think yeah and then you see like kind of the first crossover like very heavily crossover between the wizarding world and the muggle world with them announcing about Sirius black oh yeah that's fun i like that it was it was really interesting because they're like so where did he escape from is yeah, he, like, in my backyard they don't tell right them now? anything. Yeah. Yeah. So that... I found it, by the way. It's St. Brutus's Secure Center for Incurably Criminal Boys. Yep, that's definitely where it's Harry It's so belongs. over the top. Yeah. It's so silly. It's like, here's awful, and they're even more awful, and here's a little more awful mixed in with that awful. Yeah. You know, that's where they belong in school. I think if you like the stuff with Sirius technically being in the Muggle world, like them knowing that there's this guy and he did something bad, you're gonna like the beginning of book six a lot. Okay. Because I too enjoy how they sort of over overextend into each other's worlds because like the wizards know what's happening but the muggles are just completely oblivious, which they're, is a theme throughout the series. Kept very ignorant, that's for sure. And I think if you really liked all of that, I think you're going to enjoy the night bus a lot. Or I think you enjoyed the night bus a lot. I did enjoy the night bus a lot. It was definitely interesting, for sure. I like that Harry just tries to play off that he's Neville, of all people. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, what's your name? Neville Longbottom. (laughs) Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so he's pretending to be Neville Longbottom, which is like, of all the characters, why would you pick Neville? <laughs> it's the person it's just that you're the copying? person that came to his mind first, I guarantee that's Clearly, what Clearly, like, that's the only way that makes any kind of sense. But I like how sort of silly the night bus is, because, like, of course you just throw out your wand arm and a bus pops out of nothing. And of course it's three levels tall. Right. And of course you've got beds rolling around all over the place. Yeah. How could you have it any other way? Right. And then, of course, you've got this driver who's so bad that barns have to jump out of its way. Shrubs and, like, bus stops and, like, full-on buildings. Yeah. So, like, I love how silly, just absolutely silly that is. And the muggles don't even notice because they're not looking. Yeah. And, And so they're making all the stops, obviously. They end up in, like, Wales and they end up in pretty much everywhere it seems Mm -hmm. like in the united kingdom and when they get to harry's stop he gets off the bus and you have mr fudge Cornelius fudge there waiting for him and he's like how did you know i was gonna be here right yeah (laughs) and it's just funny because he's like i in his head you can hear i'm sure thinking like I even checked in his Neville Longbottom to avoid this situation. Mm. What are you doing here? That that was a funny scene for me. Like, Harry was just, like, dumbfounded. Like, how did this happen? I did everything I could to avoid you, and here you are staring me in the face. Well, I like, too, that when he meets up with Cornelius Fudge, it's like, this Harry Potter and Stan Good. No, his name's Neville. Do you know who Neville is? Yeah. And it's just funny. 
And like, oh my god, that was Harry Potter. Like, they start freaking out when yeah. they realize that it is actually Harry. And then Harry thinks he's going to be put in Azkaban. And it's like, you just blew up your aunt. It's not like you did anything major. Well, like, blew up, I don't know, is the right word. Inflated, I think, is the correct well, like, yeah. fitting. I know they used blew up, but I was just like, she didn't blow up into a bunch of little pieces. She, she just inflated. inflated. Yeah. They had to go and deflate her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that had me dying. And then obviously you get to the scenes where... Harry is in Diagon Alley and just kind of doing Harry Potter things when... I just, I like it so much because it shows that this is something Harry could have had. And then, of course, he didn't because his parents were killed. Yeah, he could have been walking around the streets of Diagon Alley and drooling over really amazing brooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he, he could have been more immersed in the wizarding world than he was. And so, for me, this is sort of like a longing for a world that Harry never got to live in. He never got to live in a world where his parents weren't killed, where he didn't have to live with his awful muggle relatives, so. Right. And then you see also a little bit more of, like, the companionship of, obviously, Ron, Harry, and Hermione. And then you also see more budding of the love of Jenny Wizzy for Harry Potter, kind of, in that scene as well. And I... I still, even though there's only a year difference, like these beginning books where she's so infatuated with him, I don't even see it as her growing feelings for him. It's just, she's starstruck. Like, that's all it is. It's not real romance because I don't think she really knows Harry as a person at this point. That's true. It's kind of been just a few small experiences. However, she did send love notes to him on Valentine's Day. That was an 11-year-old mistake. It's not a good choice. (laughs) But I also like that you got to see the Weasleys again as a family unit and how, like, normal wizarding families interact with each other. Definitely. Like, you have the twins who stole the prefect badge away from from, uh, Percy and Percy's losing his mind trying to find it. Yeah. Literally tearing the entire hotel room apart, including making accusations to Ron, like, why'd you steal it? Why are you hiding it? And Ron's like... I seriously don't even know what you're talking about. That sounds like siblings. Yeah. And and Ron really has no clue, and I think that's my favorite part. Yeah. He's like, if I knew where it was, I would end this so I could <laughs> sleep. <laughs> And then that's when Harry gets his hint that um, something is going on with him (coughs) and Sirius Black. Yeah, so he unintentionally walks in on a conversation. Well, doesn't walk in, like walks along and hears a conversation about it. Um, Obviously, as you learn, you get further and further through the book, there's a little more to it than what he heard. Right, of course. Um, But it, it still kind of lays the groundwork for Harry definitely hating Sirius Black. Yeah, well, when that's all you hear, you have no other chance to feel any other way. When you get 1% of the facts, congratulations, you're going to believe whatever those 1% of facts are because you don't get the rest of it, so. And then I personally love, as well, the scene where literally all the cars from the Ministry of Magic show up and they're like, all right, we're going in style type of Yeah, yeah. You can kind of see it across everybody's face, like, wow, we're going to be uh, pretty fancy on our way to the actual station this time around. It definitely was interesting, and, and in that chapter as well, you start to meet, well, you don't meet Lupin necessarily right away, but, like, he's there, yeah. and he's just passed out of his sleep. And I love the descriptors that they use. They basically almost make him seem like he's homeless. And he's right. just there on right. the train. Like, how this adult get on this train with this? Like, the only adult that's supposed to be on I do is... question why an adult was on the train to Hogwarts, especially given that we find out later that he can't apparate. So, like, why did he not just apparate to get to the school? 
It would make more sense for time-wise, too, for him. Well, but he's also sort of needed in that chapter for the Dementors and recovering from the Dementors. So as as far as plot goes, it makes sense. But when you think about the world as a whole, it makes no sense. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting that, like, you had the right guy in your, your section better than you could have had anybody else where, like, everybody else's experience with Dementors wasn't nearly as bad, yeah. like, as Harry's, and, and hence why Malfoy feels like he's allowed to make fun of him for it because it's like, well, it didn't do that to me, so ha ha ha, like, yeah. you're just I, weak, Harry. I do wonder what Luna's experience would have been. Like, you haven't met Luna yet, but she's a character who exists at this point in time and she would have been on the trains when the Dementors happened. Yeah. And I know that she's seen something where I would think she would have a reaction to the Dementors but maybe not. Maybe it's just something that didn't affect her that much. Well you gotta think too like the Dementors realize who Harry is and who he's been in contact with so like it's quite possible the information and the reason they got like more serious with him was based more along the fact of he's shares a lot of things with Voldemort because of that so like you have the wands he has the visions and things like that so the Dementors are like yeah we're getting on this I don't I don't think that has anything to do with that I think they just feed on your bad emotions and Harry has a lot of them from having a really troubling past well in comparison compared to the rest of the wizards more than likely yeah it would be the case but I really enjoy that Madame Pomfrey says that finally we have a defense teacher that knows his remedies and all he did was feed them chocolate. <laughs> yeah, but in comparison to the previous incidences of who was in those roles, it makes a lot of sense that, like, well, she's course. excited that somebody actually knows something about dark arts is actually going to be the instructor for the class instead yeah. of the previous generation of Gil or Lockhart who just made her job so much harder. All the time. Every single time. Like, I can imagine the amount of kids that showed up after the Pixies attacked the class at the medical wing, like, this lunatic let out the Pixies and didn't know how to get rid of them. So, like, having Lupin there is, like, going from a failing level teacher to, like, a B or an A level quality teacher. So it's like... It, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, you know, obviously then you're kind of going into the class loadouts that Hermione's put amongst herself. Like, that poor girl does not know what she was getting herself into. Like, obviously. she does, but she doesn't, you know. Well, my thing is, you find out later on that, in theory, there should have been more students who had to use a time turner. But that's sort of like head cannons and like Harry Potter theory that I wouldn't be able to discuss with you until you finish the series. Like, like, so I don't even know what time turners are, to clarify. That has not come up in any of the chapters I've read right. quite yet, so... Well, let me put it this way. There are other students who should be in the same situation as Hermione earlier on. Gotcha. And then, honestly, my favorite class that they've had, and only because they troll the teacher, is Divination. Yes, you've talked about that. Oh, it has been enjoyable for me. Everybody thinks Professor Trelawney is just full of crap in every way, shape, or form that she can be. Except for two students. Yeah, except for two students who, I was Parvati and who else? Lavender. Lavender. I I don't know why I forgot that. It's just a color. (laughs) It's so easy to remember. She's just two colors, lavender brown. Yeah, good writing there by J.K. (laughs) <laughs> thinking that one through. 
All the um, other names have significance, but lavender brown. Do you think maybe she brown. was like looking at a wall that was like half lavender and half brown, like a weird I brown combination? I hope not. That's an ugly color combination. Well, like maybe not, depending on where she lives. Like yeah. it could be a, a common color pattern. Who knows? But it, it just like drives me crazy when authors do that. Like they just kind of halfway come up with names. Like they're, they're effort Well, wise. she normally doesn't do that, so that makes it stand out all the more. Yeah, but yeah, that, Trelawney is basically like just going like all these bad things are gonna happen and the very first class so it's just like welcome to divination and everything that can happen is going to happen to you 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 and you yeah and making super generalized predictions like somebody will leave our class by the end of the term it's like oh okay that that's like the most difficult decision she made like of course oh something bad's going to happen to harry no kidding the first three years things have you know our first two years things have happened bad to harry go figure that something might happen bad this year especially considering Sirius Black is on the loose. I'm sure Professor Trelawney was let in on the memo, just like all the other teachers as what has ties to Harry related to that, you know? So well, maybe. Well, you gotta think, most of the teachers seem to have already known. It wasn't like it was a secret, you know? They knew that they oh. had to keep Harry away from Hogsmeade and all that stuff, so... Well, most of the teachers also knew that information about Sirius Black and Harry's father. And then you also get the first scene of Hagrid teaching his course. Poor Hagrid. And you meet the Hippogriffs. I was totally about to call them Griffins, but I knew that was completely wrong. Nope. They, they meet the Hippogriffs, and Harry volunteers while everybody else is like shaking in their shoes, basically. Yeah. Like, we don't want to go near this giant monster. Oh god, it's so scary. And then Harry's like, no big deal. Yeah, well, he's a Gryffindor. Yeah. He does dumb things. Yeah, and so, like, the class is going really, really well for almost the entire course, and then, you know, you have Malfoy being the... Malfoy. ...piece of trash that he is, and feels the need to talk bad about the Hippogriff, which it was basically, like, rule number one, don't talk trash to a Hippogriff. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like... This is so easy. Why are you so afraid of him? Blah, 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 blah. Like, just starts bad-mouthing the hippogriff, and the hippogriff's like, cool, bro, I'm gonna jack you up. And, like, barely even hurts him, based on the descriptions and injuries that, like, are in the book. And then, like, he oversells it for, like, weeks. Yeah, well, he was completely healed after that class. Yeah. Like, immediately. Right. So it was just over the top. Well, he was doing it for two reasons. One, he knew that if he pushed, obviously, Ron, Hermione, and Harry's buttons by taking shots at Hagrid, it's a distraction from the year no matter what. And then he pretended that he was injured to, to get, get them out. out of the actual Quidditch match, which... You know, like, I get it's strategy, but that's really just trashy. I mean, it's really bad sportsmanship, but also the one time he faced Harry in a game, he lost by a lot. Right. And and he knew that by no means was he going to be ready to face him quite that quickly again. Yeah. And then, this is probably one of my favorite scenes, and I, I think I talked to you at least once about it this week, the bogger. Oh, yeah. I just... I couldn't stop laughing at Snape dressed as an old woman. <laughs> that was probably the greatest scene. You can't ever. say that Neville's grandmother doesn't have style. Well, you know, Snape seems to be able to rock it with the best of them. So, yeah. yeah. The description of it just had me laughing out loud while you were reading your book. And, like, I remember getting a couple looks from you, like, keep it down. <laughs> like, but it's Snape dressed up like a grandma. How can you not love that? That's fantastic. 
I think I like in that scene that you get to see what everyone else is afraid of. Yeah. So, like, you're not just learning about how this magic works. You're also learning about the other students who, at this point, I feel like you don't get a ton of interaction with yet. Well, obviously, you, you learn that Ron is afraid of spiders in Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, yeah. But I love that his just becomes all big and gigantic. I forget what he does to it. I can't remember. I think he takes his legs off. Oh, yeah, that's right. He takes his legs off. So it's just the body of the spider sitting on, on the ground. Which, I don't know how that's funny. That would horrify me even more. Well, it's not like it can get to you anymore at that point. So, like, it's... it's... <laughs> I'd be scared of it. Yeah. I also love the name of the spell, Ridiculous. Because this is ridiculous. Yeah. It's truly funny that that's the spell that you use against a barker. Like... Well, and you have to do something that makes you laugh. So, like, to deal with your fears, you have to overcome them enough to be able to laugh at what you're afraid of. So, right. like, for me, that makes sense. I do think it was weird, and obviously it's explained later why, but that they didn't give the Harry the opportunity. Like, I know why they did it, because they didn't want him to embarrass himself quite so quickly, because well, not... everybody knew that that's what it was going to become. It was either going to become Voldemort or it was going to become a Dementor, so... Well, specifically, Lupin states that he didn't want Voldemort walking around in his classroom. Yeah. Or where they found the blogger. So, like, specifically, everyone thought it would be Voldemort. Yeah. So it's understandable why he didn't have him face one. Right. And then obviously coming up even a little further into the book, you have the first Quidditch practices starting to fire up. And of course, Wood is over the top. Everything way too serious and forcing everybody out really early into practicing. If you don't love Oliver Wood, you're wrong. <laughs> he is everyone's favorite over the top Quidditch captain. Yeah, and so it's definitely interesting. It's so funny that he's always over, so over the top. Not kind of over the top, like way over the top. Like, we need to do five five practices a week. Like, do you really need five practices a week? I mean, you didn't know any jocks like that in high school? Well, yeah, I did because I played, played sports with most of them. Especially in their senior year when they're like, we have to win all the things. Yeah. I know that exists in the real world. Don't tell me it doesn't. It's true. It definitely does. And then we have Halloween, which honestly... One of my favorite times at Hogwarts is yeah. Halloween. Especially this Halloween. I like this Halloween a lot. It, it definitely was an interesting Halloween year for sure. I don't know how to go into it because obviously they, they go to Hogsmeade and bring back candy and things like that. And Harry's sad because yeah, he, he didn't, didn't get, get to, to go. go. Yeah. Right. But then you also have this attack that happens during the feast. I think it's important to say that it happens during the feast. Yeah. Because that... people are coming back and then all of a sudden the painting is ripped to shreds. Yeah. And then they go to search the entire castle so everyone gets to have the sleepover in the dining hall. Yeah. I just think it's freaking hilarious that that's what you go to whenever you have to check for a madman loose in the castle. We'll just all sleep in this giant room. It's fine. Well, there's supposedly one entrance to it, right? So it's easier to guard, and that's, I would imagine, the reason they do that. As you'll find out in the next book, that's not true. Oh, there's more than one entrance? To the Great Hall, yeah. Oh, okay. So it is a good place to post up, I think. I think you don't have a ton of ways to get in, so that makes sense. It's just, I don't know, I think it's funny to imagine a bunch of kids having a sleepover. Yeah, definitely a strange thing, for sure. And you start to see the hatred for Crookshanks and Scabbers as well to another level. 
in this chapter as well. And you start to see the irritation with Ron and Hermione both acting like they're both innocent. Crookshanks couldn't hurt a fly. Oh, really? He just tried to kill Scabbers. Yeah. Well, everyone's weird about their pets, as Hagrid would say. Well, and on top of that, Scabbers is already pretty much dying, so it's like, why are you giving him such a hard time? Like, cats aren't supposed to go after sick-looking animals. Like, naturally, it's their instinct to not do that. So it's just like, well, this is the thing that's happening in the book, so... But the cool thing is, while while everybody's at Hogsmeade, Harry does get to sit down and have tea with Lupin and kind of, like, ask those questions like you were saying, where, mm-hmm. like, why didn't you let me go? And then Snape comes in with a potion. And obviously, because I've, I've seen the movie, I know that... It's for a certain thing, mm. which even as far as I am in the book right now has not been mentioned mentioned yet. Yeah. And so I'm like, wow, Snape's being a good guy. Like, this is the first time you see Snape as not a bad guy 100%. Or you could be like Harry and assume that he's going to try to, to poison, poison Lupin. Yeah. Like, he wants your job so bad he's going to kill you right now. Why are you drinking that? Well, and he already doesn't like Lupin. Yeah. And the replacement for the fat lady. So the... Sir Cadigan. Yeah. <laughs> You're introduced to him earlier around the divination course where he's just, like, trying to be tough in his frame while he's really just failing miserably and his horse ends up running away from him and, Mm -hmm. like, all that ridiculousness. It's very funny. It is. It's truly entertaining. And he's, like, sitting there trying to challenge people, like, be the tough guy now in the photo because nobody else would take the job of being the... Yeah, no one was brave enough. On the Gryffindor painting doors. I, I just... Every scene I've seen him in so far, it's just entertaining. Like, he's... He's just tough on everybody. And over the top. Yeah, mm-hmm. over the top tough. And it's just so funny. Then you start to see more of the crazy wood, forcing them to prepare for Hufflepuff because they're letting Slytherin get away with not playing due to the so-called injury that yeah. Harry, or not Harry, but um, Draco has. You have that game, and, and he's like, seriously, guys, it's not something that we can just lay down and let it happen because, like, Hufflepuff is good this year. They have Cedric Diggory as their seeker. Yeah, and then, uh, of course, that's the game they lose. Right, for obvious reasons. The Dementors kind of show up at the end of the match Yeah. and ruin everything in that instance. And it's a very Hufflepuff thing that Diggory does whenever he's like, what, I didn't know that he had fallen off his broom. Let's redo this. And, of course, they don't. I'll be honest, I thought he was being sarcastic when I read it. We don't need to redo this, like type of a thing but maybe no, that's just the way i took it that's just the way you took it because diggory is very much that type of person yeah and then his broom gets absolutely obliterated by the whomping willow by the his time he wakes up just, he's like what happened his life with the whomping willow is just bad well you know when you crash a car into a tree i kind of understand why the willow might have some hatred for you just a little well, but the broom floated over on its own it's not like harry was on it right, right. it's just what the whomping willow does yeah, destroys it anything that's around it. Things. It wants things. And obviously he sees a Grim as well prior to the Dementor showing up. So he keeps seeing this wolf, which again, I know who it is. Dog. Dog. Large dog. Mm-hmm. And so he, he keeps taking it as like, this is the end. You know, like mm-hmm. this is the sign of death and it's coming for me. But it's definitely kind of strange. And you also see in that, that chapter as well, which honestly I thought was a fun fun part of it, was the story behind the Marauder's Map. Oh, yeah. And I know you like the Marauder's Map because we own one. Yes. We own two, if I stand, maybe. No, we own one. one. We own one. We've purchased two. One was a gift for someone else. Yes. It's 
I, I love the idea of the Marauder's Map, and I think it's funny that Fred and George stole it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> While they were in the middle of getting written up for a detention. Right. Like, and of course that's when you would decide to go snooping around. Yeah, while you're, you're being punished, in the process of being punished, you're stealing things. <laughs> that could get you in even more trouble. And then Harry uses it to get to Hogsmeade, and you hear the conversation that gives you a little more detail about Sirius Black and, and the his. relation to Harry. And... Then you learn as well uh, about Peter Pettigrew. So you hear about Peter Pettigrew as well. Uh, also be mentioned, which in previous conversations with about Sirius Black, you really don't get his name thrown out there too much. Up to that point, yeah. Yeah, and you find out that Sirius Black basically explodes Peter Pettigrew into molecules. Right. Uh, at least that's what's described anyways. The biggest part they found was a finger. Yeah. And he's awarded the First Order of Merlin something. Order of Merlin First Class. Order of Merlin First Class. I'm sorry. I, I'm a bad Harry Potter person. Clearly. Yeah, you'll get there. I'm, I'm improving. Remember, this is the first read-through. Yep. So bear with me, folks. Bear with me. But yeah, that that was a funny scene because like again having seen the movie i know what happens but it it was an interesting scene because you get a little more depth of how bad everybody thinks Sirius black is yeah it's not just like a teaspoon serving of what you got when you saw the news or you overheard the weasleys talking about yeah how bad he actually was so and then everybody's favorite chapter christmas Oh, Christmas? Yes. Well, yeah, technically duh. <laughs> it's not a chapter called Christmas. It's, it's not a chapter called Christmas. It's a chapter with Christmas, Christmas time. Yes. Everybody stays back to stay with Harry, at least when it comes to Ron and Hermione. Mm-hmm. Um, they both decide to stay with him through the holidays this time. And they wake up, and Harry's got a few presents, obviously, from the Weasleys. He's got another sweater. You can't go without a Miss Weasley sweater. I feel like by the end of all the years, Harry's going to just have one for every day of the week almost. Why not? Right? He might as well have just started with Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then Saturday at some point or another. Fluttering for it. And you see that he gets a present with no name on it. Firebolt. The one that he was drooling over. Mm-hmm. The entire time. I just want to point out that this is a rich kid who has now gotten two free broomsticks that are the newest model that's come out. That's all I have to say. Yeah. And what's crazy about it is, is obviously, like, there's all sorts of people that are like, oh, it could be this, it could be that. He thinks it's Lupin, and, like, Ron's like, Lupin? Of all people? He can't even dress any good clothes. Why would he be able to afford to buy this broom for you that there's only so many of in the world right now? Like, why would, how would he afford to do something like that? And so it's just like another step of where you kind of see, I guess, the thought process of wondering who it would be. Mm -hmm. Because in Harry Potter, it seems like there's a lot of that. Like, who is it? Who's done it? Who did it? You know, type of situation. Well, and there's not a lot of people it could be for Harry. A, for the money factor alone, but B, the people he's interacted with enough in the wizarding world to actually spend that kind of money on him. Yeah. As well, they visit Hagrid and they get the bad news about Buckbeak. Poor Buckbeak. Right. I haven't gotten to the point where he's been put down or not put down yet. Whatever ends up happening, I'll find out this week. Yeah. But Buckbeak is going to be brought in on trial for the injuries that he caused. Malfoy, and I say injuries, and put some air quotes around it. Because we all know that Malfoy is a sniveling little baby and did not get hurt at all. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, he probably got hurt. Like, it probably hurt. But that's like it I said, over it got, very quickly. It got healed very quickly. Yeah. It's not like he had to regrow bones or anything like that. Yeah. 
Should have put Lockhart down after that. Not really. Facts. But Curiousness gets the best of Hermione and starts to think that it's possible that it was sent and cursed by Sirius Black to kill Harry. So the present he gets that he's super excited about, like, it's the greatest thing that I could have ever gotten, immediately, immediately gets taken away. Yep. Professor McGonagall comes in and goes, yeah, we're going to take some time to fix this problem and make sure that it's not going to actually kill you at a later date while you're trying to compete with it. But I also really like during the feast for Christmas, you get Trelawney's whole, if 13 died together, the first to rise will die or something like that. The first to leave will die type of situation. I think it's first to rise is how it's worded. But it's weird if you think about that scene, knowing what you know all the way through the end of the books. It's a Harry Potter fan theory that you don't know about because you haven't read all the way through the series yet. Cool. Hashtag spoilers. I didn't spoil anything, (laughs) but I'm the kind of person who loves Christmas at Hogwarts and that if I could do a Christmas at Hogwarts, I would. Right. So that's probably one of my favorite chapters of this whole book. So like I've been in the hall that they designed the feast hall after in the UK. I sadly did not get to go there during Christmas, but I did get there during summertime and that was nice. Yeah. So, like... I wonder if they do anything for Christmas there. Well, it's part of a university, so probably not. If they do, it it is still a hall meant to be eaten in. Right, so... it's possible that they do something. I don't know that they're going to have, like, floating Christmas trees or, like, projected images on the ceiling for the Harry Potter rooms of the world. probably not. But (laughs) I'm excited for you to finish it so we can talk about some stuff. So we'll do that next week. Yeah. And then the week after... We'll talk about the book to movie adaptation, which I actually think this movie is one of the worst out of the seven, and this is the best book. So that breaks my heart because I've really I've been I've been looking forward to this book and movie probably the whole first two books. Yeah, so we'll see about that after you finish the book. Right. As for what I've been reading, I had my Christmas in July this past week. Pew, 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 pew. Christmas in July, her favorite thing. And I ended up reading two art that were Christmassy, and I watched a handful of Christmas movies that have been on our DVR since like November of last year. And some Netflix movies as well, which were... Really good. Really great. And then after that finished, I read another book. So... The first book I read for the Christmas in July was Miracle Creek Christmas by Krista Jensen. It's an arc I got through NetGalley that the book comes out this fall, so it'll be just in time for Christmas. But I rated it 3.5, which doesn't sound like that good of a rating, but I really had a good time with the story and I really enjoyed it. I basically said it is a Hallmark Christmas movie in book form but better. So a lot of the things that people have problems with with Hallmark movies weren't really here, like the instant connection and and things being illogical. So And then there's the kiss and then the ending and never knowing what happens ever again. It doesn't quite happen that way in this one. A little bit, not quite. But it's basically about this girl who goes to the small town to get away from some drama in her life in LA. And she goes there to be their art teacher for the K through 12 program. And she ends up meeting a local ex-fireman who is the hero of the town because he saved a bunch of kids in a fire. But he's got PTSD and a lot of scarring and physical injuries from it. And so he's just sort of surly and angry. And they somehow become friends through like, 
sarcasm and like updating her house and her doing something for him for Christmas. Now I know why you like the book so much. You love sarcasm. I do love sarcasm. But the reason that it didn't get a higher rating for me is there were a couple things that I don't like in romance books that happened. And one of those is a miscommunication trope where, like, they miscommunicate about something, but then they don't ever sort of realize that they can just talk it out. Like, just sit down with a mug of hot chocolate and talk to each other. Like, you can deal with your problems. This doesn't have to be, like, relationship-ending crap. Right. And so that's why it didn't get a higher rating from me, but I still enjoyed it. And then the second one I read was In a Holiday Days by Christina Lauren, which I rated 4.5, so I enjoyed that a lot. It didn't get a full five-star rating from me because I didn't like how it ended exactly in the epilogue because it's just, it was too neatly tied up in a bow and all pretty, and I didn't like that. But In a Holidays is basically Groundhog Day in Christmas form. So there's this girl who normally has Christmas with a bunch of her family and her family's friends every single year at this cabin that one of them owns, but because of financial reasons, they have to sell it. So this was their last Christmas there, and something happens that causes her to go in this time loop. So she keeps reliving the day until she gets it right, or days until she gets it right. And it was really cute, and I really enjoyed it. And it was very Christmassy, which is exactly what I was in the mood for. So I think that'll be a good one if anyone's looking for a Christmassy book to read in the fall, winter, leading up to Christmas. So look up the holidays. In a Holidays is by it, Christina Lauren. Is it days, like D-A-Z-E, or days as in like day, D-A-Y-S? As in you're dazed. Okay. No, holidays, like dazed and confused. Uh, yeah. Because she is sort of dazed and confused when she first gets into the time loop. Yeah. And it Who comes out be? it comes out on October sixth, so plenty of time to read it before Christmas starts. And then the last book I read this past week is Exit Strategy by Martha Wells. It's the fourth novella in the Murderbot Diaries. So it's the last of the arc for the novellas. And then I guess a new arc starts in the next book. So it'll start a whole new storyline with Murderbot. And I rated this one 4.25 stars, which is... I believe what I originally rated All Systems Red, which is the first novella. So my rating started pretty high for the novellas, then kept going down and then went back up. Because in this one, we got to spend time with the original humans that it interacted with. So I was already connected to the humans that it was protecting. So I didn't have to worry about having enough time to get to know them, to like them. But still, it's not a five star because it's just not long enough. None of these novellas have been long enough for me, which whoever is taking count needs to do a shot right now because, again, I want more. I always want more. So... I really like this series. I think you would enjoy this series. I think it would also make a good TV show or, like, movie or something. I just, again, don't think there's enough material. It sounds interesting. The more you talk about it, the more I'm like, well, maybe one day I'll read that. And I think as we finish up, like, Harry Potter and everything like that, obviously at that point, hopefully we'll have a few more listeners and they can recommend me a series as that I should, but I, I have a feeling Murderbot probably won't come up right away. Yeah. But. Well, it's an adult sci-fi, and it's sort of a harder sci-fi, so it's something that's more technical. And so if you're not already a fan of sci-fi, I think it could put you off. 
Well, as I'm kind of a techie nerd, I think I would probably be right on that book style. Like, that would be me all over the place, pretty yeah. much. And then for what I'm reading next, I've officially started A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor by Hank Green. And it's the last book in the duology. I guess they're calling it the Carl's duology. They used to call it the An Absolutely Remarkable Thing duology, but now it's called the Carl's duology. And it's first contact with aliens with sort of a twist about like technology and media and how we as humans interact with the world. So it's one of those things that the more you read it, the more cerebral it seems to be than a normal sci-fi but it's pretty good. And then the second book I'm going to read is The Damned by Rene Audier. That is also a second book, but it's out of a quartet. So it's the second, it's the middle point of the books. And it's about vampires in 19th century New Orleans, which sounds a lot like a TV show a lot of people know, but Mm. it is nothing like that. So the last book left on a cliffhanger, so I'm excited to read the new one. Get past the cliffhanger and on to more plot. And then a cliffhanger at the end, I wouldn't be surprised, but we'll see. And then if I have time, I'm going to try to hopefully start and finish Prisoner of Azkaban. I can usually read that in a day and a half, so it should be a problem as long as you don't interrupt me. Well, the good news is they're sending me back to work this week, so you'll be (laughs) able to probably get that time. Yeah, but those are all the reading plans I have, and we know you're going to finish Prisoner of Azkaban next week. That's the plan anyways. Hopefully we'll get it done earlier in the week so that I have some time to uh, write up the things that I would like to write up so I'm prepared for the movie adaptation flip-flop for the week after that as well. Yeah, but I think that's all we've got for this week. Make sure you check us out on all the social media that should be linked on the show notes. Yep, and thank you guys so much for giving us a listen. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye!